talking travel on 2NURFM and Barry Warwick is with us today and it's certainly a very interesting time, Barry, for uh, talking about travel. It certainly is, Jane. Look, travel, at least we're starting to get the opening up of uh, Victoria, which is excellent. Yeah, 23rd of November. 23rd of November. And Qantas and Jetstar are putting on a lot of additional flights. Yes. Uh, Also, you know, New Zealanders can now come through Sydney Airport without having to go in quarantine, and that's really great. However, it's not a reciprocal arrangement at this stage because New Zealanders have got, once they visit here, if they're going back to New Zealand, have to go into managed isolate. well, what they term managed isolation. I think that's a lovely term. It is. It yeah. <laughs> makes so it sound isol- almost as if it's a holiday, doesn't it? Well, it could be too for some. So well, what does that actually involve um, as far as ease of travel goes, Barry? Well, going into managed isolation, it does. it's still causing a lot of problems, not only here, uh, but also in New Zealand. For example, New Zealand, it's easy to get on flights to come from New Zealand to Australia, but going back, even though there's plenty of seats on planes, because their managed isolation is full, uh, Air New Zealand, for example, at the moment is not accepting any reservations until the 14th of December. So, so it's it's a long way out that yes. you, you've got to actually plan your visit. Now, if you've managed to get a spot in managed isolation, you can then book on their airline as long as they know that you've got a valid uh, certificate for, for managed isolation. <laughs> and that's the problem that's been caused in New South Wales as well, or, well, Australia, in getting Australians back home because we just don't have enough spots in in isolation for every visitor that comes here or everyone that returns to Australia that's 14 nights in a hotel somewhere uh, and, and not can, every hotel does it they've got specific hotels haven't they they do have specific hotels so you not only have people that are managing the or finding the accommodation but you've also got to have the security around that hotel that hotel has to meet a lot of requirements and um, we saw earlier in the year where the travel lodge uh, was theirs was Mm. discontinued because Mm. they just weren't meeting the requirements that uh, uh, were necessary, I suppose, to keep the community safe. Yes, so that happens not only in New Zealand but also here and, uh, and that's what's led to the backlog of Australians overseas, I suppose. Yeah, that, exactly, Jane. And look, we hear of instances where people have confirmed flights on uh, to return to Australia and I, I heard of one the other day where a person had travelled from an island in Greece to Athens. The flight was all confirmed, went to check in and they said, oh, no, sorry, sir, your flight has been cancelled. Mm-hmm. The flight hadn't been cancelled. It was just that the number of spaces were taken on that particular aircraft. So the airlines obviously are going to try and make as much money as they can mm-hmm. to make the service viable. And when you're on a cheaper fare... Mm. then you're the first to get bumped off once you reach the the limit. And I think New South Wales is taking something like 3,000 people a week, but 
that's got to be shared between all airlines. So the airlines have got to talk to each other. They can accept bookings and then when it comes down to actually notifying this is how many people are, that are coming in, that's when people get bumped off flights. And I suppose they're going to think about overbooking rather than underbooking because they want to fill the seats and if there's a no-show, then uh, will that happen a lot, do you that, think? Well, I think that will happen. Yeah. And there's just no control. You know, we have this, Australia has this mandatory number of people that can come in and... Once you go over that, that's it. That's it. Yes, yeah. Sorry, you're not on the plane to get here even. It's not a question of coming and turning around and going back. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. right. Uh, we're talking travel and we'll take a look at some of the new requirements that cruise ships are having to fulfil if they want to get going in just a moment. On to NURFM. Travel is the topic on 2NURFM and Barry Warwick. Um, well, things have been a little bit different in many respects this year, but also in the world of cruising, which we're working towards. That's right, Jane. Look, COVID has, has certainly uh, decimated the, the cruising scene in Australia. And, the you know, some people will remember going on PNO, Pacific Jewel and Pacific Dornwell. The Pacific Jewel is going to be scrapped, so it's going to be run ashore and broken up. Mm. As a, and that's part of the some of the things that go on behind the the scenes for when something like this happens. Mm. Uh, also, Pacific Dawn it was originally sold to an Indian group. They were going to start cruising around India. That's no longer happening. So there's some doubt as to what will happen to that ship. But before ships can actually resume cruising. Uh, in America, they've been the Centre for Disease Control has given ships the green light to cruise. Yeah. However, before they can actually start cruising, they've got to prove that they can social distance, they can test people, and they can also uh, make sure that everything is clean on the ship. So there's a lot of work to be done and they're going to have to pass these tests before they actually start cruising again in, in uh, US waters. So. so that all sounds very logical, but they're going to have to be able to prove that they can do it, not just say they can do it. Exactly right. I think the days are gone when people are taking the word of a, a shipping company or what airline that things are safe they are going to have to prove that they can actually uh, manage this uh, they're going to have to improve their air conditioning and filtration systems mm -hmm. uh, and one of the ways that they are actually going to do this for uh, people is uh, have cruises or pretend cruises so that they do have passengers Mm. that go on board, but they're going to have to show that they are able to manage keeping crew safe because mm -hmm. that's really important. Ooh, and yes. You think of all the contact points you have with crews and also keep the passengers safe and also manage that social distancing. Now, when it comes to the, the testing, uh, Viking, for example, have uh, are the first company to actually sign a deal to have testing and a laboratory on board so that they can test passengers and crew regularly mm -hmm. to ensure that they remain safe. And this is a rapid testing uh, regime. It, it's uh, 
a PCR test, I think, is the, the three-letter yeah. term for it. But yeah. uh, it's the one that's used in the US as mm. a major... Testing device or test. testing instrument, yeah. yeah. So mm. it's just interesting that all of these things have to happen before cruising really gets started again. And, you know, as I said, uh, they've said they can go ahead with cruising, but cruising hasn't started in the US. So we're not quite sure what the regulations will be for Australia in terms of what their... Uh, mm. controls will be and certainly the shipping lines have got together to put in guidelines that all cruisers will follow. Well that's good so Australia will probably have different requirements but will they take their lead from the CDC? Look I think that they will take their lead from the CDC yeah. and cruising uh, I guess is out of America is the largest cruise industry or Mm. Uh, place in the world. So I think Australia will follow their lead and in, insist, but they may also add another layer of um, control. Yes, requirement, regulation, etc. Yeah. We love our regulations. Yeah. And, and if it's going to make us safe, then we're happy to have it. Yeah, and yeah. we don't want another ruby princess. And I think that what will happen is before people actually board vessels, they will be tested. That's mm. another uh, recommendation that's come out of that. And before they actually disembark, they'll be tested to make sure that uh, when they yes. come back off the cruise... They're not bringing anything. They're not bringing anything, yeah. yeah okay. Oh, well, so things will definitely look a little bit different as we get back to the new normal. It's taking I, shape. I, I think so. <laughs> and, look, yeah. cruising, I think, will be as popular again um, as ever... Once these guidelines are in place and are proven to be working, excellent. Well, good news if you're if you're a cruise lover, and there are plenty of us. Uh, we are talking travel on to a new RFM. Back in a moment, we're talking travel on to a new RFM. Barry Warwick, hot deals. We can see there are going to be plenty of them coming up in the near future. But you've got one in particular that sounds absolutely brilliant. A Look. lovely destination. <laughs> Yeah, it's Jane. Look, post-COVID travel, um, there's 25% off Antarctica for the season for 22-23. So this has to be booked by the 18th of December this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, You pay a deposit. Are we going by air or by ship? Well, we're going by (laughs) ship. So what we've got to do is we've got to get out of Australia first. So... Hopefully flights will be operating by that time and uh, then it's a cruise uh, down to the Antarctic Peninsula from Ushuaia. So uh-huh. yeah. it will be – it's just something, the 12- and 14-day cruises and something – look, for someone to look forward to and you can snabble a, a bargain and they've got their book with assurance policy so if things are still not quite – working Um, out, Mm -hmm. then you know that you're not going to lose your money, although it will go into a credit rather than being refunded back to you. And it's interesting, the the, uh, chief, uh, the airport chief of Sydney mentioned that uh, even for bubbles to operate, they go, it's dependent on a few things. And one of those things is a vaccine uh, to make it safer. And certainly there are some countries that have managed the COVID risk similar to ourselves in uh, such as Japan, 
Singapore and Korea, and they look like the first, and they look like they will do the reciprocal 14, no, no mandatory quarantine. Managed isolation. <laughs> no managed isolation, that's right. Also, they're talking to the Pacific Islands, but again, uh, there has to be great caution with this because obviously the Pacific Islands just don't have the infrastructure to deal with a disease of this nature. Mm. And uh, mm. we don't want to be the cause of introducing that into their their system. Mm. So, And they're also saying that Antarctica um, is the only continent in the world that has no cases of COVID at the moment. Well, that, that, that would be right, but then it doesn't have a great population either. It doesn't. So, and <laughs> Or to much get, contact with the outside world. No, not much contact with the outside world, but you do have to go through, uh, you know, South America, and South America certainly, uh, or some spots of South America, mm. haven't got an enviable record on managing yeah. the COVID risk. So I think that's one of the reasons why this vaccine, so many people are pinning their hopes on the vaccine. And certainly it will be good to be able to travel somewhere uh, without, you know, having to do that, that quarantine. I mean, even now in New South Wales, and there's great pressure on uh, some local hotspots. You know, Mudge is being booked out. So there's some great winners because the tourist industry in some respects is really quite busy. Um, Lord Howe and Norfolk are enjoying really good bookings as well. So, uh, well, I tried to get a group of people into Lord Howe and April was the first time that I could manage to get this group into um, the, the same property. And right. under normal circumstances... I don't think it would have been that um, that hard. Yeah, very interesting. So, yeah, as you say, and it's such a lovely place to visit, yeah. Lord Howe, Norfolk, they're both good places. Uh, it's, yeah. That's right. And look, with, with Victoria opening up, Victoria and New South Wales, I guess, generate the most number of tourists going, well, to places like Queensland. So we've just got to wait and see a little bit there. Um, and Western Australia, some of the... The wineries have been extremely busy with local traffic, but uh, I think the figure was quoted that 78 million uh, was generated domestically. However, it was calculated that if New South Wales had been, or the rest of Australia had been able to go to Western Australia, it would have generated about 134 million in in mm. tourist income into that region. So, uh, still a little bit short of old normal. Exactly. So yeah. we're approaching the new normal with a few indications of where we might be going as we talk travel. Thank you, Barry Warwick. Yep. Thank you, Jane. And we'll talk travel again next on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.